the reason why your kids want to be on their phone and their iPads and all those other things is because you are. That's it. You're setting the example for your family. So if you don't want your kids on their iPads and their phones, you better get off yours. Like they, they're watching everything that we do. What I, I, I ask my kids very like specific questions all the time, like about me and how I'm doing and how I can do better and, and, and things like that. And I just remember there's sometimes my kids would have to say daddy three times before I heard it. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy, but the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make, but you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast, where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. Hey there, welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast, where we dive in with parents who are just like you and I, they're dedicated to parenting powerfully. I'm Stephanie Dove Blake, your host, and today we have an incredibly inspiring guest, Bill Allen. Bill is a man of many facets, literally an ace pilot, naval officer of over 18 years, CEO and owner of Seven Figure Flipping, and a dedicated father. His journey isn't just about professional success. It is a story of personal transformation and bold decisions. One of his most intriguing experiences happened very recently where he literally gave up his phone for nine months. You heard that right, nine months without a phone. So in a world where we're constantly connected, Bill chose to disconnect and the lessons that he learned are nothing short of eye-opening. So I want to encourage you to listen with open ears and tune in because it's really amazing what he's gonna share with us today. He's a father who deeply values the time and connection with his family and his approach to parenting and life reflects a profound understanding of the importance of being present and the power of stepping back from the digital whirlwind that threatens to engulf us all. Today, we're going to dive deep into Bill's nine-month phone-free journey from his unique perspectives on technology and connection to his insights into balancing life as an entrepreneur and parent. This conversation promises to be as enlightening as it is engaging. So buckle up and let's go. Welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. I am here today with the incredible Bill Allen. He is like the original Top Gun, uh, literally flies planes, builds incredible businesses, runs a farm, and he's a father of three. And so I am so excited, Bill, to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us. Well, thanks for asking me to come. It's an honor to, to be asked to be on a show like this. I'm excited. Well, and, and I know that we've, we've probably got more to talk about than we have time. So I want to just go ahead and dive in because one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was because you are an out of the box thinker. And at the last event that we were at, we were sitting at a dinner table and you were talking about how you gave up your phone for nine months and just kind of what you learned from that. And, and so I'd love it if you would tell, tell us and talk to us about, you know, why did you decide to do that and what, what came from that experiment? Yeah. So first of all, if it was up to me, I still wouldn't have it. Um, but it, you know, some things happened and the the woman who was managing my phone was no longer managing my phone. So, um, so it, it lasts about nine months. So why did I decide to do that? The first, um, the first thing was I, I heard, I heard of another, uh, his name's Joe Polish. I heard that he took a sabbatical for a year from his business and he ran mastermind group kind of like, like I do. 
So I was like, well, hey, if that's the case, then uh, I want to set myself up that I can do that if I want to. I don't know if I ever want to because I love to work. I love what I do. I love all of it. Um, but I want to get to a point where I could do that. And what was happening with my phone was it was just, I was getting mess like, everywhere. I'm talking everywhere. You, Facebook, Instagram messages, uh, Slack notifications, Asana tasks and notifications, uh, text messages, phone calls, emails, not just one email account, like five email accounts. And although there were a lot of people managing that for me, it was still sucking me in all the time. And I realized that my phone was just, it was like attached to me all the time. And so many people had access to me. When I was looking around, I was like, the, I've, I've separated access a lot, but the text message thing, like I had no unread text message. I was just overwhelmed and kind of, um, I never felt like I could keep up with the level of communication that's happening. If you're listening to this and you only have a few connections and people that you talk to on a regular basis, or you're just getting started in your business and your business is not that big. So there's not a lot of people that are communicating with you that, and you feel like you're handling it pretty well, start scaling that to like hundreds of clients or thousands of clients and connections. And what happened was it just scaled to the point where I could not keep up. And I'm someone, what I realized is I'm somebody who wants to, uh, okay, let's, let me back up a little bit. Most of us, at least I do, I'll talk about me because I know me. I pride myself on speed of response. And so as I, um, I see, Hey, if you ask a lot of people, what do, what do you like about Bill? And they're like, Oh man, he, like he gets back to me. He cares about me. He really is interested in what's going on. And he's always like so responsive and takes care of things really, really quick and does it really well. And so that was my, like my identity was I'm somebody who responds quickly, who does a good job and gets back to people. And so when I had small number of connections, that's who I was. And that's what I pride myself on. And that's how I built my business. Very fast. I move fast. I communicate quickly. I take care of things and I get it done. And then as I built a big business and then multiple businesses, and what I realized was I can't do that anymore, but that's what people expect of me. So my clients in the beginning now are starting to wonder why I'm not responding to them. I get these messages like, are you mad at me? I'm like, no, I'm not mad at you. They're like, well, you haven't even read my message or responded to me, or like, do you even care about me anymore? So then I start thinking, is, how many other people feel that way? And so what happens is as we scale those relationships and we scale the business, we can't, we can't get back to each other as quickly as we did before. It's just impossible. And it's a never ending task that will only fail. And so I was failing in like every area of communications, I felt like. And it was so, so I was like, I, I either have to burn this whole thing down or, I mean, it's just not possible to keep up, right? So I was like, well, what if I just burn it down? What if I just get, say, I don't have a phone? Like, what if I just get rid of it? And there's no way that somebody can contact me without just like driving over to my office or coming to see me. And because I've, I've allowed this to happen, like I built it up and, and I pride myself on it. So that, so if I have 20 messages that come in, I take care of five of them. Now I have 15 left from this day. And then tomorrow I have 20 more. So now I have 35 to respond to. And it just, it stacks and stacks and stacks and gets to a point where nothing can happen. So you have to like crush it. So that's what I did. I just like, what if I just burnt it down? And so what was interesting is when that happened, I thought people were going to get more mad at me, right? They're like, well, you know, you didn't respond for like ever. You never respond. Well, what happened was they start text messaging me. And so I, the, the, the process, can I go into the process or do you want? Please, it, please. Yes. Okay. So what I did was I just said, okay, I had, I had a chief of staff. I had an assistant that sat at my desk right next to me where I am right now. 
And I said, all right, at some point, I knew that when I hired her, I was going to give her my phone at some point. And I thought it was just going to be like, you know, while I'm in the office and then I take it home at night, you know, and she just managed all the communications because text messages and all these other things were just a pain. And phone calls. I hate talking on the phone, by the way. This is the other thing. I don't like talking on the phone. Like I, <laughs> I absolutely hate it. So there's another caveat for me. So, um, so my process was just like, okay, I'm going to give her the phone and then she can communicate not as me, but as her, you know, like when I thought back to, and, and as, as ridiculous as it sounds, but if you watch these old shows from like the fifties and sixties, there's like a secretary, right. Who's answering the phone. Who's just screening things. So like it was totally normal then, but now like everybody has access. So, so I, I gave her the phone and she would respond and they'd be like, Oh, okay. Like no big deal. Like this isn't bill. And what happened was what I found and I had, I, I didn't expect this to happen, but the communication started slowing down. Like they didn't speed up. They didn't, they weren't consistent. And I'm a data engineer nerd. I like numbers and data. So it's all, it's all important to me to kind of look at the whole thing. That was the whole ecosystem, what's happening, but they just didn't want to talk to her. They wanted to talk to me. And so when I became unavailable, they were like, oh, he's unavailable. Like, I'm just not going to, I can't get to him. I'm just not going to send him a message. And, and then what's interesting is the stuff that's like urgent and on fire, you're feeding it by responding very quickly you're feeding it. So when, when I stopped responding quickly and we stopped, they solved their problem. Like when she would take two hours to get back to them and be like, Hey, sorry, I've had a busy day. I have Bill's phone. You know, um, how can I help you? Or what do you need? Or, or give you the answer. Like, Oh, I already figured it out. And so like we are, we become people who respond quickly. We're training other people to not answer the question or solve the problem on their own. We're training them to just ask us and we'll respond quickly. So we're feeding this like this flywheel that's just moving faster and faster and faster. And, and we're trying to figure out how to unplug the best way to do it. It's just like, if you just don't answer, they'll figure it out. And then you're empowering them to make those kind of decisions, figure it out uh, and not rely on you. And I think a lot of us, a lot of it's ego driven. Like I love the fact that people rely on me to help them. I'm a problem solver. I respond quick. All these things that I, I wrapped up in my identity that are actually pretty bad that I'm like disempowering those people to go out and do what they want to do. So, so I gave it to her. This, the messages started slowing down, which was very interesting. I didn't expect that to happen. And then they just kind of like stopped. Wow. Like a lot of them stopped. And so then we're creating like, our own madness, essentially. Totally. Totally. We're like the, the thing. I mean, we, we haven't even gotten into how addictive the thing is and all this other stuff, but um, let me, let me tell a quick story. So the way that this happened was my son, my son has had five open heart surgeries and he, he is a, a make a wish kid. So make a wish is an amazing, amazing charity and, and program that if your child has a life threatening illness, then they, they can, they can get a wish trip. So we had been awarded a wish trip in 2020 and, and for, for Disney. And it got canceled because of COVID. We were devastated. Um, but then we had the opportunity this year um, in early 2023 to go on his wish trip to Disney. And he was six years old. Like it was way better timing than it would have been when he was like three or four that we were going to go. He'll re he might remember this trip, but I have like 1600 photos and videos of it. So he'll definitely remember it. I didn't want to have my phone on this trip. I didn't want to be connected at all. And I had wanted to give away my phone. I wanted to give it up. I had this plan for like, I had, a, I had another phone, a second phone that I bought for like a year before I actually did it. So for anybody that's listening is like freaking out, it's too hard. Like I was that guy too. And so 
I remember his wish trip was coming up and my assistant, my, my chief of staff, she drove from Missouri to Nashville to work every, every week. And so she was driving, she left me and was driving back and I sent her a message and I was like, you got to come get this phone. Like she turned around, drove back like 15 minutes and got the phone and left. And I was like, just take it, just take it. And my plan was I have this other phone, this new phone that I'm going to get a SIM card for that nobody will have the number. I just have like three people that have the phone number for it. And so I went to get the SIM card. This was a Thursday that she took the phone. We were leaving on Saturday. So on Friday, I don't work on Friday. I just work on my farm on Friday. I was like, I'll, I'll go get a SIM card for this phone. Well, uh, it has an eSIM, which I had no idea what that was. I'm used to the little chip SIM cards. And I was like, I don't even know how to do this. Like, there, there's, no, like there's no place to put a chip in this thing. I don't know how to figure it. So I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to, I'll bring this thing. I'll take videos and photos on it. It won't work. It's just a brick. You turn it on and it says SOS on it. There's no phone. Nobody can text. Nobody can call all that stuff. And it's like, my wife has a phone. Like uh, we'll be together. If, if the nanny needs us, that's watching our kids, then they'll be fine. So I went to Disney with no phone for a week and I took 1600 photos and videos on that phone, <laughs> but nobody could text me. Nobody could call me. I couldn't, I could get on Wi-Fi if I wanted to. Um, but I didn't turn on Wi-Fi at the park. My phone lasted three days without being plugged in. Oh, wow. So for all of you that That's are like, my phone doesn't have enough charge. It's because you're using it too much. So, um, <laughs> so I was able to, to do that and unplug. And, and then after that week, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like that. I feel like, I feel like I got way more life in me. I just, I just got like an extra, you know, 500 hours a week back somehow. And, uh, and the, the rest was history. I just said one week turned into two weeks, turned into a month, turned into three months, turned into six months. And I just was like, I'm never having a phone again. Wow. So whenever that, whenever that happened, what are some of the things that you experienced? Cause I would imagine that, you know, the first week without the phone versus the second week versus kind of the end of your journey might've been a little bit different. Like, did you notice anything that first week versus, you know, once you were really in the thick of it? Yeah. So, um, so let me talk about, let me talk about your addiction to your phone before we talk, because I, there's a couple things to this. Number one is, is your addiction to your phone. Number two is what you experience and things that you have to think about. Um, so the first one is your addiction to your phone. Here's what I realized. Um, I didn't think it was that bad until I gave it away. And so I gave it away. Remember I had this new phone. I only put a couple of apps. So I get on Wi-Fi at my house and I put a couple of important apps on there, like my banking stuff and things like that. Like I didn't, I didn't put any social media, no Facebook, no Instagram, no TikTok, no YouTube, like no social media on there at all. It was just, and no email. I had no email on there. So there was nothing that I could use my phone like a computer for. And uh, there was, I, I put my USAA app, which is one of my banking, Navy Federal, and almost that's it. Like I really had nothing. There was a half of one screen. Wow. Uh, on there, that's like one awesome. swipe screen. And, um, and so what I realized is I, I would, when I first gave it away, I would open it up and unlock it, you know, use, use face ID and open it up. And I would, I would be in my calendar. I would always open it up and I'd be in my calendar. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why am I doing this? But I, what do I need to be in my calendar for? You know, when you just like, on autopilot, like just, right? Yeah, you, you just like, but you're just like, you're like, I'm in here. I don't know why I'm in here. I must have, must have done something. Now I thought about something else. So I forgot why I came here. But I would always like just open the phone and go into my calendar. Well, my calendar was like the second one from the top left of the phone. And what I realized after doing that for a couple of days and just be like, why am I always in my calendar? That's where Facebook was on my phone. 
So that was the Facebook app on my old phone. So I'd open it up and go to Facebook. So my autopilot phone habit was open the phone, go to Facebook right away. Wow. Like wow. I'm, I'm, I'm basically doing this, this procedure of swiping up and going to the second app from the top left. And my whole, my brain is telling me the phone equals do this task like a machine, like a robot. And so I was like, wow, I was really addicted to this. Like I spent too much time on Facebook, all this stuff. And so that was one thing that I noticed that was just really shocking to me of like, you don't really know how bad it is until you do. I mean, I'm basically like an addict doing something that's not intentional. Like this is, this is a subconscious act that is happening on autopilot, which means it has moved from like work decision for the brain to autopilot in the brain, which means it's, it's happened so often and so many times that it's automatic now, which is really scary to think about. So that, that's one. And then the next one is, is kind of some of, the, some of the cool things that started happening. Number one, I had to actually think. So when, when you have a phone in your pocket, that's, you have a computer in your pocket, basically. You have a computer. It has every answer on the planet, on Google and anywhere else. So if somebody asks you a question, what are you almost immediately doing? You're like, oh, I don't know the answer to it. I'm just going to look it up and find the answer. So you have the answer at your fingertips to everything all the time. Well, this actually took me back to like, the time where I had a pager, maybe like in high school, where it was like, I didn't have the answers. I had to actually think and maybe we had to communicate and debate about something or disagree with it or, oh, I don't know. I'm going to have, I wonder what that is. And your brain is actually working. Like it's a cognitive thought is happening inside your brain, which builds other avenues. And, and all the things. Yeah. Yes. Like, and, and, and then like, I had to think before I just got in the car and drove somewhere. So I remember I had to go, we have a farm. So I was picking up a cow at this, uh, at, at the butcher. Right. And, uh, it's an hour drive and I'm in my minivan. My minivan does not have like GPS navigation. I don't have the address anyway. If I, 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 I can't look it up on my phone cause I don't have a phone. And so all this, I, I was like, Oh, I got to go to the, I got to go to the butcher. I've been there like 10 times. And so I'm halfway there basically going, uh, uh Oh, like, I don't actually know which exit it is or anything. I'm always just having my GPS on my phone. And so I had to think about it. I had to actually be present while I was driving, look out there and try to figure out what exit it is, look for landmarks, like those kind of things. And, and that was a place that I knew places that I didn't know. I'd have to ask for directions or I'd have to actually think about it ahead of time, or I'd have to open up my computer and print out a map before oh, I, I remember got in the those days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, I drive a Tesla. So the majority of it was like, I could just plug in the address and it would be fine or look up the place. Um, but there were times where I, you know, I had to think about things ahead of time or, or, you know, I had to communicate with my wife. Hey, this is where I'm going to be. You know, I'm not going to be connected. You can't get a hold of me. So if it is an emergency, this is where I'm going to be. Come, come, come get me. Come be there. I remember I was on the farm. I work on the farm every Friday. I don't work in my office, I work on the farm. And uh, the first Friday I gave up my phone, my COO drove there, which is like a 10 minute drive from the office to ask me two questions because he couldn't get a hold of me. That's awesome. So like, you, hey, guess what? What if your staff and your team couldn't get a hold of you today and they had to ask you a question? Would they drive to your house to ask you or would they figure it out? Right. They'd figure so it out. So now I'm having really important CEO, COO conversations as opposed to, hey, what do you think about this? What do you thought they would color on this website? Which, what do you think about the text of this email? Like, they're not asking me that stuff anymore. Yeah. It's very yeah. much like, 
high level conversations, high level cognitive thought, like let's empower our team and our staff and our people. Let me think ahead. Like all that stuff was starting to happen, which I thought was really cool. And then I was way more present with my family, the people around me. I, I didn't feel like I needed, I, and I lost my phone. Like I, I, in my house, I didn't know where it was. When was the last time you lost your phone? It's been a long listening? time. Was, it's probably been years since you lost your phone because it's always attached to you all the time. And so I was like, I don't know where it is for a whole day. I'm like, I don't know. It's in here. Someone's like a Saturday. I was like, Sunday, I go to church. It's, I left it. It's not a big deal. Like I have so, to wear a watch. Bill, did you notice any physiological um, uh, differences since you didn't have the phone? Because I know we have a lot of EMF studies that are coming out nowadays. We also got the blue light stuff going on. Um, like, did you notice any physical differences with not having the phone or just constantly it being with you? So, so there's something that interesting enough about, about three weeks after I gave up my phone, my church did a, a digital detox and they brought in a woman who hadn't had a phone in seven years. She told a very interesting story, but she said something that I'll, I'll never forget for sure. She was like, there's a reason why most people don't give up their phone. And the way she did it was she like asked the people you had to think about it and answer, but I'll just go through it real quick. The people who, who won't like think about their phone. They say, I need it in case of emergencies. So I need it because of emergency. And she said, the problem with that is if you see it as an emergency device, which pretty much everyone does, like I can call it 911. It's, it's like a fire extinguisher, basically anything. Um, it, what it does is it triggers your central nervous system. So like emergency devices and emergency equipment trigger your central nervous system. So you're always on high alert. So she's like, when you have your phone, you're always on high alert because it's your emergency system and you see it as in case of emergency. So it's like break the glass in case of emergency kind of stuff. And so when you haven't, when you have, when your central nervous system is on high alert, you can never actually relax and you're always like amped up a little bit. So having that in your pocket, having it in your hand, having it like, have you ever noticed, at least I noticed when I'm driving. I feel like I'm not fully engaged with, with the, the act that I'm doing because my phone's, if it's in my hand or it's in like in my lap or next to me, like there's always this kind of like some sort of gravitational pull oh. to it mm-hmm. and you can never actually be truly present in what you're doing. So, so all of those things were, ha- so I noticed all of that stuff. Like I was just more relaxed. I wouldn't say that I I could say that like, I got less headaches and things like that. What I will say is my hands and my wrists, um, I wasn't typing all the time and writing an email and texting. And so my wrists and my hands were in a lot better shape. Like Like right now I can feel it. I've had my phone back for like six months now probably. And I feel that kind of like wrist, hand, thumb, stress and pressure. So some of those things, but I, you know, with the blue light stuff, uh, um, I definitely slept better at night. I was not on the screens all the time, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I do think that, I do think that plays into it for sure. And, and now that you have your phone back, what is life like? Like what I, I'm sure, you know, there's a level of like having to get back into things, but are there any things that you've held out on or changes that have come about from this experiment? So I definitely have a lot less stuff on the phone and I have, um, but I'll tell you, when you get, you get something back, you just jump right back into it. So I, I think that I'm better, but I'm definitely like, you're basically just like right, almost right back where you started. 
And so uh, I have put some limitations, some different things. Like we went on, went on a Disney cruise last week and I just saw my, um, you know, you have your, your screen time notification pops up once a week. If you do, if you track that, um, my screen time was at like eight minutes a day. Nice. It was so cool. Dang. Never seen and that so before. The cruise, because like, well, the cruise is like, I'm like, I'm not paying $25 a day to buy internet. <laughs> I don't really have anything that I need to do. So, uh, you know, I was just taking pictures and video, just like I was back at the, um, uh, on the trip. And it just reminded me of, of how great it could be to be and be connected and really be with my kids and be with my spouse and, and be, be by myself. A lot of it is we're pacifying ourselves. Like we don't want empty space. And so empty space is where we usually get our most creative ideas and um, where we recover. And, and so, so yeah, I find myself staying up later. I find myself scrolling social media again for no apparent reason uh, for out for, I mean, okay, let me tell you uh, another quick story of the catalyst here, because this is a huge problem. That Thursday, what I didn't tell you is that Thursday, I, um, I go to the chiropractor on Tuesday and Thursday. And Tuesday, I went to the chiropractor and I, I was a very busy day on Monday and Tuesday. And I was way behind on like communications and emails and all this stuff. So I went to the chiropractor. And I said, I'm going to bring my phone in. I always leave my phone in the car when I go to the chiropractor, just because they say like, don't use the phones in there and stuff. So I'll leave it in the car. Otherwise, I just can't control myself. So I brought it in and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a little bit. Of, you know, they have the traction table where so I, you, I get adjusted and then I go to the traction table where it's like a massage table, basically. So 12 minutes. And I get on my phone and I'm like laying there and I'm like, I'm going to do all my catch up while I'm laying here. Like it's no big two deal. birds, yeah. one stone. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I blink and the thing's done like 30 seconds and it's done. And I'm like, this is a, this is a mistake. It's broken. It had been 12 minutes in 30 seconds because I had the phone. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a test. I never noticed, but I'm going to do a test on Thursday. So I go in there and I leave my phone in the car and I'm intentionally going to do, do a test that Thursday. I lay down. And I get on the traction table and it feels like 30 minutes. I'm like, I don't think this, I think this thing's broken in the other direction. I don't think it's ever going to end. And that's what time passing is supposed to feel like. Like, so no phone slows down our life with a phone, speeds up our life at like a 10 or 20x multiple. So that's the Thursday. I said on Thursday, I, I sent her a message to come back. I sent her a message from there to come get it from me. Oh my and God. From that parking lot. Cause I was like, this, this thing is, is evil. Well, and, so, and, and think about what our kids are experiencing as well. You know, if we, we wonder why they have such trouble paying attention is because it feels like an eternity, five minutes, you know, you, it just takes forever and they're the little brains. And I remember as a kid when I didn't have a phone, um, you know, growing up and I remember 10 minutes felt like an eternity. So how much longer might it feel like for them and how their attention and anxiousness of like, if they're used to having some form of in electronic entertainment and then they don't have it. Let me give you uh, a really hard pill to swallow here. The reason why your kids want to be on their phone and their iPads and all those other things is because you are. That's it. You're setting the example for your family. So if you don't want your kids on their iPads and their phones, you better get off yours. Like they, they're watching everything that we do. What I, I, I ask my kids very like specific questions all the time, like about me and how I'm doing and how I can do better. And, and, and things like that. And I just remember so, there's sometimes my kids would have to say daddy three times before I heard it because I'm so engulfed in my phone or whatever I'm doing in the evening when I'm home from work and I should be with them and they just want to play with me. 
But my, my youngest son, Lucas, always goes, Daddy, you want to be the monster tonight up in the playroom? And I just go up in there and I like throw him around on the couches and do all this stuff. And, and some, some days I would go up there and I bring my phone and they're like, be the monster, be the monster. And I'd be like, okay, I do it for a bit and get tired. I sit on the couch and soothe, like, just go look and surf or check my email or do something. It's like any, any downtime I was doing that. And I, that, they would just be like, Hey, if you're my, my nine-year-old is like, if you're on your phone, why can't I be on my iPad? Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, that's it. That's what you're doing. So you want your kids to get off the devices, get off the devices. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events, testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair, print them out, have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar and my kids decorated it. And that's where we put all of our questions. And that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. And I believe it's a huge conversation starter because whenever we are off our phones, that's different. It's different from the rest of the world. So like as a, as a, as a rule for our family, for most of our, of my kids' lives, when we go out to a restaurant, there aren't any electronics. There aren't any electronics at dinner. It's just kind of a family standard we've always had. Um, And that's different because you can literally, whenever you go out to eat nowadays, at least in our area of the country, and I think it's pretty much everywhere, you go and look around the restaurant and it's either both parents are on the phone or the entire family is on a phone or a device. And that is apparent, like our kids can see it. And and what I love the most about us being the leaders and not being on is because we also can talk about, well, I I don't want to be on it because of all these negative things, but I don't want to be on it for these positive things. Like you're talking about thinking through things and having time to yourself because that's how we were created. We weren't created with a phone in our hand. And so for our creativity to abound for us, our problem solving, uh, knowing ourselves, all those things, we have to have those moments of, of stillness. And the phone is just too easy to get on and it be the default. Uh, and we just lose, like we, I call it a boredom famine. You know, like our, our kids are starving for boredom and they don't even know. It. I mean, they technically know it, but they don't know it. And they try to fill this, this hunger for being bored and their own creative creativity to come out. And they're filling it with all of this placebo of, you know, things that the devices can, can give them. And don't get me wrong. There's some wonderful things device devices give us, but, but for the most part, I think if you talk to just about any professional in the, in the medical industry, you know, or, or even uh, behavioral sciences and all these, they're going to say, you know, honestly, the cons outweigh the pros nowadays. 
you yeah, know, I, I think boredom, boredom really creates creativity. It, it, it just births creativity. I'll tell you the, the, and no judgment here, believe me for anybody that's listening and, but it's harder. It's harder to not have your kids on the devices when you go out. To yes. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I mean, it's basically, it's, you're giving your child a pacifier is what I say. My, there's, there's times where me and my wife don't agree fully on this. She's like, oh, because we, our middle son's special needs. And this kid does not sit still, really. Like if you give him a phone with YouTube on it, he'll, he'll watch it. Yeah, he'll sit but, still. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard. Like it's harder not to. But I, I do not want to hand them a pacifier at dinner. It's just not the way that I want to, I, I want to lead my family. And even I'll, I will listen to the screams and the yell and have him, but then he comes, sits on my lap or we play a game or, and what it is, is is it's harder for me. Like it's, that's hard. Like I have to get to a point where I see the beauty in that. I see the joy in it. I see those kind of things. I don't see difficulty and challenge and, 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 and like, I'm losing something. I got to look at what am I gaining with that time with my child? And it is harder. It's harder. It's easy to slap a phone in front of them. So I'd rather do the hard thing because I know that's going to pay off in the long run than the easy thing now that's going to hurt me in the long run. And I think that's the, that's the trade-off that we have to make as parents. Uh, so. I agree. And I, and I think us as parents, we have to continue to grow what I call our parenting muscles, right? And whenever we kind of opt out of having to handle the fit or, or d- just decide to put the, de- the device in front of our kids, um, it can be hard. And again, like you said, no judgment here because we've all been there. We've all had those moments and continue to have those moments throughout our life. But it, it essentially weakens our parenting muscles, which, man, when you have to work through temper tantrums and you have to dig in and, and be selfless and overcome things and be more and more patient then the next time you come around to that situation again, it's a lot more easier to be patient and you're learning and building those parenting skills and, and um, yeah, you know, being able to balance your own emotions around annoyance and frustration and and how do we sacrifice? So I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So you said something a second ago that I want to circle back around to that I think might be just a little bit of magic that maybe you don't think is very magical potentially, but you said you ask your kids specific questions all the time. Um, what are those specific questions that you ask them and what does that look like? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, these are my questions. Um, I think it was at... Uh... The Unlock the Secrets event when Caleb Maddox's dad was talking or on. No, it was on, it was on a podcast that I heard his dad talking about this. And um, or I heard Russell talking, telling a story. What I don't know. But it these are not my somewhere. questions. These are not um, mine. I've stolen them from somebody else who likely stole them from somebody else. And so um, one of them is uh, what, there are three questions that I ask. And I usually have only been asking my nine year old this, but I'm starting to ask my five year old this. My seven year old, he's just. He doesn't really communicate. He doesn't speak uh, much. Kind of understand a little bit, but cognitively he's slower. So it just wouldn't be effective if I ask him this. But I, we do other things with him. So my nine-year-old, I said, um, "What are what is something that I'm doing that I should stop doing? So what is something that I'm doing that I should stop doing? What is something that I'm doing that I should keep doing? And what is something that I'm not doing that I should start doing?" So these three questions, and and again, a 100% plagiarized from someone else, from another father who has brought up a, a really great kid in business. So, so what's really cool about that is there's a lot, there's some magical things that come from that. 
normally it's like uh, you should be let me play on my ipad more or these kind of things but it just tells me kind of where his priorities lie and things but like the one that really hits me is like what are some things that i'm not doing that i should start doing and he's like sometimes he's like play with me more or throw the football with me or those kind of things because and in the beginning if you're doing this for the first time with your kids and they're a little younger you got to give them some examples of what that means and also make sure that they feel like they're in a really safe space like you're they're not going to get in trouble for what they say and and do not justify when they answer you don't justify why you aren't doing that thing just listen and say that's i need to work on so there's some caveats that you have to put in place when it comes to these questions it, to, to really get the best value that you can out of it. And I would say, I mean, it's not something that you would ask every night, but something maybe once a month or once a quarter or once a week or whatever that, that looks like to, or, well, you know, I don't remember the last time I asked, so I'm going to ask it again. And um, I took my son to a, a YouTube conference. He wants to be a YouTuber. He's nine years old. I pulled him out of school. We went down to Daryl Eves' YouTube conference. It was like Mr. Beast was going to be there. I, I, I surprised him with a bunch of his favorite YouTubers. I didn't tell him who was going to be there. And uh, like we got, we got there 45 minutes early so we can get front row seats every day, those kind of things. And, um, and I asked him those questions while we were there. And he, he was like, one day he was like, I just want to, I just want to go play in the pool with you. And so we just skipped a session and went and played in the pool at the hotel. We just walked back to the hotel and we just got in the pool for a while. And cause he had, cause we did it the night before and he had so much fun. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, Hey, after lunch, do you want to take a break? Cause he was getting a little burned out. You know, it's a kind of an adult conference. <laughs> He's one of the only kids there. So that, that kind of stuff, it really just figure out what it is that they want and need. And really they're just thirsting for our attention. And, and the times that they pick up that iPad and don't want to put it down, it's because you know, they're getting attention from somewhere else. They're getting all of their needs met from another source. And you have everything that your kids need right inside of you. And it's just whether we want to take the time, the quality time. It's not just time, quantity of time, it's quality of time. And so, um, so I, I really try to work on that as much as I can. And, and look, I am not perfect at all. I make a ton of mistakes. I am not not perfect. Uh, there's just a when when people speak about parenting, I listen because I don't have a manual for it. We just don't have a manual. And I truly believe that we are all doing the best that we can with the tools and resources that we have. And we're going to produce really great kids. Um, we can always do better, but. There's, there's just, there's like a little bit of tweaks and changes that you can put in that produce massive results over time. Yeah. And, and I'm a firm believer that it's, it's truly not about being perfect. Cause like, if we had a rule book, um, that said, this is how you parent perfectly. This is the pathway. I, for one, I don't believe that's possible because, you know, every child is different. Every circumstance that you're living in is different and every parent is different. So the combinations are infinite whenever it comes to personalities and situations and all of that. And so it just, it's just impossible to say, this is how you parent um, right here. This is it in a book. And so I've, I've come to learn that it truly is about the journey itself. And we actually can actually harm our children whenever we are you know, striving for perfection in our own parenting uh, and not allowing our weaknesses to be a topic of discussion of like, hey, I really, you know, I messed that up. I, I shouldn't have raised my voice. I, I wish I would have handled that differently. And, and in that, they get to see how they're allowed to not have to be perfect as well. Right. And then we're able to grow together and learn from all those situations. Otherwise, if we were able to be absolutely perfect 
and show up. Like, I don't think we'd have a perfect kid because then that kid would grow up thinking, well, mom and dad never make mistakes. Mom and dad always have it right. You know, and, and that I think can be one of the worst things is a kid grows up feeling that way. Like the expectation is that they need to be perfect and they can't mess anything up when, you know, that, that example has been set for them. So Man, I love all that so much. And uh, we're definitely on the same page about that. You are doing something really incredible right now. You just dropped a bomb on me. I mean, I'd heard a little bit about it. And you have created something for that I believe is just so, so stinking powerful. And I I really want to chat around your why for what you have created. Of course, we weren't tell them what you've created. But you know, light touch there, but just your why and and understanding what needs to happen with this next this generation of kids and and them learning um, about finance and and all these things that unfortunately we can't always get straightforward in school, especially if you have different personality, uh, different personality type kids that the school system just doesn't work for. Yeah. So I, first of all, I think the if we if we don't really talk about like the the there's not a lot of education in any school about money, finance, credit, leverage, real estate, uh, stocks, bond, all, all that stuff, any, any of it, really, cryptocurrency, wh- whatever you want to talk about inside of uh, investing and um, life insurance, like you, you just name it, it's just not there. And I, I believe the whole system is set up, and, and this, is, this might be controversial for people, but um, to keep us financially illiterate. Like, because the majority of the money flows through Wall Street, flows through big banks, and flows through government. And so, if we are financially illiterate, we can be controlled through our money. And money pretty much just makes things happen in the world. Like, whether you love it, you hate it, it's, I mean, it's all, it's all doesn't matter. Like, you have to, it, you need it to do things. It's just the way it is. It's a trade. It's our currency to, to swap and trade. And, and it, it definitely, makes the world go round. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, if everybody that is going through our conventional school systems and structure, whether it's middle schools, high schools, colleges, all these things, there's not a lot of financial education. There's nothing about entrepreneurship. There's nothing about building a business because it was designed to create employees. And if the school system was designed to create employees, then it's training us on an employee mentality. It's learn, do like, and it's regurgitate information. It's not critical thinking. It's not a lot of those things. It's just read this book, do this assignment, circle these dots and standardize test your way through whatever. I, I, I feel like I, I, I would go to school. I would learn the rules of the game. And then I'd figured out how little I would have to work to achieve the results that I would need to, to play the game at the highest level. And that's how I went through school. And, uh, it's fortunately I got my education from my, my financial education from my dad and my dad gave me some really great, a kind of financial foundation when I was younger, which without that, I don't, I don't know where I would be financially today, saving, investing, those kind of things. And even, even then it was still at a, a mid tier level, not even like high enough where uh, that I have now, like a lot of what I've gotten now has been from reading books, studying, doing my own taxes, like these just learning through the school of hard knocks and a lot of it, losing money, figuring it out, those kind of things, building a business, (laughs) those kind of things. And so what I realized is like, we need to do something about this. Like I'm insanely passionate about it. And I've been 
coaching and training adults for the last like 10 years in real estate and finance and a, a lot of those things. It, and and recently the past two or three years, some more like high level entrepreneurship, scaling and growing businesses, those kind of things. And so I, I we we started to, we we have a family community in my real estate community. And so people started bringing their kids to the events like five years ago, there'd be a kid at the event. And, and there's not a lot of like bad language or, um, or it's, it's, it's not like a, Hopefully that makes sense. There's not, it's, yeah, it's a it's place a where you can bring your family environment. Yeah. For, no, it's like, it's like G G G rated G and maybe a little PG from time to time, but it really is like, there's just not, you just don't see that. I, I remember one of my speakers that I hired said, um, said one bad word on stage and just looks at me. I'm in the front row. And he's like, sorry, Bill. Like it was in the contract, you know? And so and this is a guy who speaks on Tony Robbins stage and drops F-bombs like on a regular basis. And he's totally clean in our events. It was really cool. And But we have that conversation ahead of time because there's kids in the audience. There's like seven, eight, nine-year-olds there. So they just come to these events and they're starting to build these businesses and, and they're like flipping houses and doing stuff. I have a 14-year-old, just turned 14. He's flipping his third house right now. We have a 17-year-old girl who's done six houses. We have a 12-year-old that flipped his first house last year. And they're speaking on my stage in front of 1,100 people at a conference about it. It's like- Incredible. Became, it, totally. It was, like, it was like they're in the audience. And then I was like, hey, could maybe you and your dad come up and talk together. And then the next year it was like three teenagers on stage and one was 12, one was 12 and not even a teenager yet. And they're talking in front of 1100 adults who are running multi-million dollar businesses, telling them what they should be doing. And it's just, it's really been, it's been a really cool kind of four or five years that we've seen. And so I thought we would build something in real estate for them. But what I realized is they need the financial foundation and the entrepreneurial foundation and a little bit of real estate, because most people don't believe that a 14 year old can flip a house. It's just like most parents, most, even most kids. It's just, I don't feel won't. like I could flip a house. So I'm mind boggled uh, by I mean, a 14 year old doing it. You could, you could do anything you put your mind to. It's, not it's true. It's true. So, but it feels scary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, but, uh, but I'll tell you, like, what about, um, what about building a, a landscaping business or, or selling something at a farmer's market or, or designing something toys or, or, you know, buying and reselling, like um, be a middleman and wholesaler for things like buy low, sell high, all the stuff that I did as a kid, as a kid, I would buy like candy in bulk and break it up and sell it at school for, you know, twice as much as I bought it for. I would uh, trade baseball cards and sell baseball cards. I was, you know, was mowing grass, doing all that stuff. Like I, I had this like entrepreneurial hunger. And then I went in the military for 20 years and just got beat up by the man where I thought my cap was like $150,000 a year. And then I was like, I, I call myself this closet entrepreneur. I, when I finally like busted out and I was like, oh my gosh, like there's a whole world out there where people are making millions a year. I didn't even know that existed. So, so uh, okay, I'm, I'm telling a little bit of a long story, but I think the foundation might be necessary of why. You asked me like, why am I passionate about doing this? Because I see, now I see what these kids are capable of and what's possible. And I also see the financial ruin that the system has put on our, the adults that are leading these kids. Like the people that are bringing these kids up, they don't have the financial foundation or entrepreneurial or business foundation either. So they're not equipped for their, their entrepreneurial kid that's, that's struggling in school, that's getting bad grades, that's being told that they're not gonna go to college by their guidance counselor and their parents are agreeing because they don't know that there's something else out there. And so that kid needs a, needs a different system than what's provided to the masses. 
And so we, we are like, well, what if we just, and it's a tall glass of water, right? So like, we're, but what if we can build something for these kids to inspire them and bring them together and create like a mastermind for kids basically that are all want to do this same thing and have the same goal, or they're not sure they want to check it out. Like maybe they don't want to go to college. Maybe they do. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just, hey, this is a whole new way of thinking and a different system that they can come into and decide if this is for them. And there's kids running businesses right now. Like, what, why can't they get together like we do? I don't have to wait till, I mean, I'm 43 years old. If I could do this when I was 15, 16. Yeah. I mean, game over. I no would be, brainer. I, I yeah. would own the state of Tennessee right now. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> so um, so we, we, built, we built something called uh, Teenage Tycoon. It's a... I'm writing a book right now called Teenage Tycoon, and we built a mastermind for kids that launches in January 2020. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited about that. And I know if you're listening to this right now, you are going to be super excited because I believe I believe I'll have to check our publishing schedule. But I believe this is going to come out just about in time um, for that January launch date. And so if you're interested, Bill, where are they going to go to find out more information? Um, well, I think we should, I think we should do something together. How's that yeah. sound? Like if I, we can get I'm you, down, a, I'm down. let's get you a special link for your people. Maybe you can put it in the description or somewhere like that. How's that? Yeah, work? That sounds wonderful. We will make sure that it's in the show notes. So if you're as excited as I am, make sure to click the link on this podcast and go check out the show notes. Look at Bill Allen's uh, uh, post there and you are going to be able to find the link. And guys, I'm going to be in there. Like I'm going to be bringing my kids in there. I mean, this is a complete no brainer for, for my kids specifically, uh, just especially with where they are. And man, I don't think that there's anything else out there like this that is um, at that level to where we're going to be able to actually have our kids involved. And, and I know most of the people who listen to this podcast are entrepreneurial and many of them I've met in masterminds and man, the power of a mastermind to accelerate everything that, uh, your dreams and wishes are everything you're going after is exponential. And so how much more so could that be for our children to actually dive in and, and have a mastermind of peers who are ready to go after something. And it's not just coming from parents, right, Bill, you mentioned that earlier, just like the reality is that sometimes it's just so much easier whenever your kids hear it from a different source, right. Rather than from you. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely, like I was coaching my kid, my son soccer for years and he just wasn't listening. All the other kids would listen. And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take a year off and we'll have another coach. And sure enough, he listened, he got in line, he did everything. He didn't talk back. And it was like, <laughs> It's just magical. Like, I, I feel like I have a lot of gold to give, but he's going to listen to other people more than me. And honestly, I built this for my nine-year-old. Like I built it for him. And so let, let me answer, let me, let me talk maybe two other things real quick. Number one, a lot of people ask like, what ages is this for? And so the, the group is open for any ages, but we recommend there's only one thing that has to have an age restriction on it. And it's the book club. So we do a book club where we're reading books that are sixth grade, sixth grade, to 12th grade. So we really recommend somewhere around there, like 11 to 18 years old. Um, but if, if they have younger siblings, then, you know, bring them all the, there's calls with high level entrepreneurs every other week, there's another call. And um, you can bring the whole family on that call. Like, believe me, you as a parent are going to be looking over the shoulder when Russell Brunson is talking to our kids to teach them about marketing, you know, and so, and you'll be taking notes. So uh, it's that it, that's kind of the the structure. The other thing is, I really wanted to figure out how we we serve a um, an audience who can't afford a group like this. And so what we did was we said anybody that pays in full for their membership, we're going to give one away. So buy one, give one. So uh, we have a monthly payment plan, but really for those that pay in full, uh, we have a buy one give one. So and my my goal behind that is is these people are applying for it for like financial aid, basically, just like you would have in school and college. 
and and they have to keep a certain participation level up or else they're going to be removed and we're going to give it to somebody else. So it's not just like a handout. It's the fact, I don't like that. I don't believe in like giving things away for free because people don't appreciate it. So just like college, they got to keep a certain GPA. They got to keep a certain participation level up or they're going to get a warning and then they're going to be removed and we're going to give it to somebody else on the list. And so my what I what I foresee in this, which I think is really cool, is you got the person who, who effectively you sponsor somebody, right? So you pay for your kids and then you sponsor somebody in. The sponsored family, like I could see these kids building a business to then pay in full the next year on their own Ooh, and sponsor yes. another family and create this like, cycle of, uh, of just like growing businesses that's fueling itself. Like, I don't know. That's it, it's, I, I have this like dream of that happening. So it's kind of, that exciting. would be absolutely stunning and incredible because I think that it would create waves. Like it would just literally create waves in this generation. Because if we have leaders that come up and they understand the, these concepts and start doing these amazing things, it sets examples for other kids. I love that, Bill. Okay, so I, I know we're kind of getting uh, close to time, but I wanted to ask you a question. I ask everybody on the podcast, and I just want to know, Bill, for you, what does it mean for Bill Allen to be a good father? What does that look like? For you? Oh, uh, I don't know that anybody's ever asked me that. I gave. I remember giving a presentation in 2019 about um, about my dad, and um, I have three boys. And so this is coming from a male perspective. I really think that a young man just wants to please his father. And um, I mean, I, I, we can go very biblical with this, um, but for me as the father of my children, I feel like my job is to shepherd them to the best way that I can to become other good men in the future. But I remember giving a presentation in 2019 that like I looked at my dad as my hero. And the example that was set for me as a man to become somebody that would give back to society, that would make an impact, leave a mark. And he created all the core values that I have right now, which is um, which is stewardship, hard work, integrity, personal and professional development, and extreme ownership. So my five core values, I look at my dad and he has every single one of them and he passed them all to me. My hope as a good father is that my kids one day will look back and say that I was their example. And, um, and that's it, really. Like, I just want to be somebody that they look to that, that, cause I'm so proud of them and I will be proud of them regardless of what they do. But I, I, I don't know. I get a little emotional thinking about this actually. Um, like looking into the future and seeing these kids like create something that just leaves a mark and, and they do good in the world and they look back and say, my dad helped me do this. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, Bill, I think you are well on your way. Seriously, it's very inspirational to hear you talk about your your ideals as a father, because I feel like we don't have many voices in, in talking about fatherhood and what it means. And furthermore, saying this is what I'm doing and just kind of addressing fathers all over the United States, unless you're tapped into something I'm not. I just feel like it's just not not out there much. And so I just want to say thank you for choosing to show up how you choose to show up because it's extra work. It's it's it can be hard and a lot of a lot of fathers choose not to. And so just hats off to you for that. And Bill, thank you so much for coming on. This has been tremendous. I know this is going to be so impactful for so many people listening. Guys, don't forget to go check out the show notes. Um check out um uh, Teenage Tycoon 
I'm super excited. I hope to see you in there. Um, Bill, any last thoughts you want to leave everybody with? No, I, the, the biggest thing I'll say is I, I, you're, you're all parents coming here listening. And I, first of all, I just encourage you to continue listening. And, and because that's what we need. We need a voice like this over and over and over again to just support us when we're down and, uh, and just do the best that you can. Like people are going to come on the show. You're going to hear them. You're going to think that they're like the best parents or the, I'm the best father in the planet. I am so broken and I am so messed up. And I, I have been in the closet on the ground crying with the door closed and my kids upstairs, just like freaking out. Like I have been there when I'm home. I mean, I have been any dark place that you've ever been. I've been there with you. And, you know, we get, I get 45 minutes to talk about how great I am. Um, I could spend three days talking about all the mistakes that I made. So just don't forget that like the people that you think are doing really great stuff, they got a lot of other problems that are going on too. Um, There's one person that I ever know that lived a perfect life and it certainly is not going to be me and and won't be you either. So um, just do the best you can. Yep. Such a great reminder because it's not about being perfect, but it's how do we show up powerfully in our lives and that we are definitely not alone. We're in this together. Hence the name Powerful Parenting Journey, right? We're on a journey. It's not a one-stop destination. Like just because they turn 18 and they're gone doesn't mean it's all over. Um, and, and just because you parent well, whenever they're a toddler, doesn't mean you parent well when they're a tween or a teenager, it's a journey and it changes and evolves and, and helps make us better. And, uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you feel inspired and encouraged and, uh, you kick any shame to the curb. Thank you so much for listening. And Bill, thank you. Really appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the powerful parenting journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it. And you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.